Let us pray for our catechumens. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Alright, so, we're going to, today is B2B 119, what is a sacrament? But we're not going to start with Steve, because I think most of us come from a Western background, and we kind of have perhaps a Western understanding of sacraments. Now, what am I talking about when I talk about a sacrament? What is a, what is a sacrament? An outward sign that does, uh, gives us grace. Okay, so the classic definition, I think probably all of us heard at some point, is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Okay, And the sacraments are means by which the church dispenses grace unto the people. Right? That's kind of what we've, we've always heard. Um, what are the four things necessary for a sacrament? Matter. Matter. <clears throat> Words. Form. A willingness to receive it. Intent. <laughs> and I don't know the other one. <laughs> the other is the proper minister. Ah, not necessarily. I think you should teach this class. Not necessarily. Matter, form, minister, and intent are the four things necessary for a sacrament. Proper sacrament. A proper sacrament. So, for example, in baptism, what is the matter? Water. Water. Flowing water. Okay. We don't do still water. We don't do a sprinkle from a flower. It has to be flowing water. At least in the Orthodox Church, for it to be considered a valid sacrament. Normally, especially in the West, we talk about valid or invalid sacraments. Alright? So what do you mean by flowing water? Like pouring. Either oh, okay, pouring okay, okay, either okay. pouring or putting the person in oh, it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. The norm for baptism is immersion. Right. Okay. Um, it was only when Christianity started going to colder cultures that effusion or pouring became uh, common. Because if you put somebody in in the winter, they would freeze to death, and you know, hopefully they had said confession. So, um, okay. So baptism, the form or the matter is water. What's the form? The Trinity. The Trinity. I baptize thee in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Okay, that comes from Scripture, right? Because baptism is one of the two sacraments instituted by Christ Himself. Go ye therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Okay? Who's the proper minister for baptism? A Christian. Any baptized Christian. In an emergency, any baptized Christian can baptize another Christian, and make a Christian. Now, if that ever happens to you, and you're out like somewhere, and somebody's dying, and their last wish is to be baptized, that's fine. You have to have water. You have to say, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit. Okay? But, we would hope that afterwards, you would bring them to the church, and, and that the remainder of the prayers and everything else would be said for them. Okay? And then, of course, intent. You have to be intend to baptize. Okay? There is a story about one of the, I think it was Athanasius. I believe it was Athanasius. Um, well, as a boy, 
was was um, playing priest, and he was baptizing all his friends. And the patriarch happened to be walking by. This was like in Alexandria. The patriarch happened to be walking by, and he observed that he had the right form, he had the right matter, he had the right, and they intended. He said, okay, all those baptisms are valid. Bring those boys to the church. And from then he, of course, became one of the fathers of the church. So, um, in the Eucharist, what is the matter? The bread and wine. Bread and wine, okay. And there are specifics about what makes it good or bad. And, for example, what's one difference between West and East in terms of bread? The holy bread that we make, if we make it right, becomes the host. Well, there's, yes, but in the, in the West, do they use leavened or unleavened bread? Well, we use leavened. We use leavened. They use unleavened. Okay. Not in the Eastern Rite. In the Eastern Rite, uses leavened bread. Yeah. 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 No, that's what I'm saying, the Western Church. Sorry, like Roman oh. Catholics. And oh, okay. They use, it, they use unleavened bread. Sorry. But, but even our little hosts. They're leavened. They're leavened. They actually have leavened. Okay. Um, the form, of course, there's various forms for the anaphora. The anaphora is the Eucharistic prayer that we say. Um, in our letter, we have two that we use in the Western Rite of our archdiocese. One is the letter to St. Tikhon, uh, which we use, and the other is the letter to St. Gregory. Okay? Most Eastern Rite churches use either the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom during uh, times other than Lent, and then the liturgy of St. Basil the Great during Lent. Okay? In the Coptic Church, they have 14 different anaphoras based on what season it is. Okay. 14. There's a reason their liturgies are three hours long. So, um, I actually have a Coptic, uh, a priest, a Coptic priest gave me a, a prayer book, and it's in three columns. There's, there's, um, uh, Arabic, and then Gies, which really looks like, uh, it's old Greek, except with a few extra letters, and then English. So, it's pretty interesting. Um, Okay, then who's the minister? An ordained priest. priest or bishop. A priest or a bishop. And, and the priest is delegated that authority from the bishop. Okay, the priesthood is actually a delegation of certain authority uh, down to the local level from the bishop. Okay, because the bishop is the source, basically, of kind of the sacraments. Okay, bishops can do all the sacraments. Priests can do most of the sacraments, and then that's pretty much it. Then we, the rest of us, can do baptism. Okay? Um, and then the intent has to be there. One time I was at St. George, uh, Lawrence, Massachusetts. I was practicing for an exam. And Father Ed Hughes, who's the pastor, let me actually stand at the altar to do it. And as I'm standing there and I'm trying to go through, this, this was the Eastern Liturgy, of course, that I was practicing, um, I see him over doing this. He's just dancing away. Finally, I stopped. I said, what are you doing? And without breaking a step, he says, oh, I'm being the distracting altar boy. <laughs> so there has to be the intent. When I stood there, I was not intending to celebrate the Eucharist, and I wasn't the proper minister anyway. 
But when we do, we'll do liturgical rehearsal, run-throughs basically, like before Easter and the big feast here, and we go up to the altar and we do you know, various parts of the liturgy. We're not intending to perform a sacrament, so we don't, it's not a sacrament when we do that. <coughs> the next day, when we do it for real, yes it is, because the intent is there. Okay? All right. So, now, we've all probably heard the list, and if, if, if I say we've all heard something and you haven't, please let me know, so I can back up and refresh. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. What is the list of seven sacraments that we've all had drilled in our brains since we were young Christians? Baptism. The first two are baptism Eucharist. and Eucharist, because those were instituted by Christ himself, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then in no other specific order, what are the rest? Unction. Unction. What is unction? Chrismation. No? Well, no, it's the healing... Unction is just is, is like when you come up after liturgy for a healing, or when Father goes to visit somebody in uh, the hospital, okay? okay? In the Roman Catholic Church, if they go when the person is dying, it's called extreme unction, okay? And, and uh, or last rites. That's what last rites really is, is extreme unction. Um, it is, it's basically the last uh, kind of anointing, but... The Bible tells us when one is sick, one should go to the elders of the church and be anointed. Right? So we do that here. What's the next one? Another one. No, chrismation. Chrismation. Okay. What is chrismation? Or, before I start that, what is another name that in the West chrismation goes by? Confirmation. Confirmation. Okay. Confirmation. What is chrismation? The seal of the Holy Spirit. The seal is a gift of the Holy Spirit. In the West, like I was baptized at 19 days old, okay, I was chrismated when I was nine years old, because they have this thing about the age of reason, and somehow a nine-year-old is supposed to be more reasonable than a 19-day-old child, right? But they separate those, and then they separate First Communion out. Do we do that in the Orthodox Church? No. no. We do baptism, chrismation, and then immediately administer communion. Okay, so that a person from the moment of their baptism and chrismation and that receiving of the first Eucharist is a full member of the body of Christ. The way this used to get explained to me when I was an Episcopalian was that baptism makes you a Christian and then confirmation made you an Episcopalian. <laughs> and that really kind of is how it functions. I mean, a lot of us who came to the Orthodox Church, having already been baptized were received by chrismation. So, if it helps to think of it that way, um, oh wait, I'm on tape now. Okay, so if it helps to think of it that way, think of it that way, but that's not perhaps the official stand, but it's somehow a good way to explain it to people. Okay, what's another one? Matrimony. Okay, marriage. Malwage. Wav <laughs> tulav. <laughs> Okay, I think we know what that one is. All right. 
Um, interestingly enough, in there is a major difference between East and West in terms of marriage. Okay? In terms of who is the minister of the sacrament. <clears throat> in the West, in the Roman Catholic Church, for example, the man and woman are the ministers of the marriage, uh, sacrament of marriage, and the priest is simply there to bless it. In the Orthodox Church, they're the matter of the sacrament, and the priest is the minister who marries them and unites them in the name of the church. Okay? Marriage as a sacrament is fairly new. And when I say fairly new, I mean a few centuries. Um, it came about later, maybe in, you know, after some of the other sacraments. It used to be that when a man and a woman showed up together and took Eucharist together, they were considered married. That was it. You know? So, you know, we talk about, you know, if you, in fact, if you read in, in the, the, you know, when we read the Bible about the marriage feasts, right, they don't really talk about a big ceremony or anything. It was just everybody come together. These two are now married. Okay, we're good to go. Mm -hmm. And everybody recognized that, right? So um, marriage as a sacrament developed fairly late in the uh, kind of compared to the others. All right. So, um, and of course, in the Orthodox Church, marriage is strictly between a man and a woman. And... And at least one of them needs to be Orthodox. To be married in an Orthodox church. Okay. Um, what's another one? Ordination. 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 Okay. That one, who is always the minister in ordination? The, the bishop. The bishop. Always. Okay. The, the bishop, as the successor of the apostles, is he who from all the other orders flow. All the other orders are a delegation of his authority to do various other things. Okay? So, what are the three major orders? Which one came first? Bishop? Nope. Well, sort of. Yes, if we count the <clears throat> apostles. But which one's mentioned in the Bible first, by name? Deacons. The deacons. Stephen and the seven deacons, right? They were that that came first. Does that like, sound like a rock band or a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still like the seven dwarfs. <laughs> Stephen and the seven deacons. Yeah. 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 Never mind. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you get this that Christian rock band cover. <laughs> <laughs> and then one looking off in the distance. So all right, so bishop, priest, and deacon. Uh, a priest had the, the, the presbyterate um, developed when the bishop couldn't be everywhere all the time, right? So once you started having more than one parish in a city, you know, we're only supposed to have one bishop per city. Um, I think in Chicago, we as Orthodox have seven, but they're working on that. Won't be in our lifetime, I don't think, but they're working on that. Um, he couldn't be everywhere all the time, so he said, you go do liturgy here. And that's the development of the presbyterate, the priesthood. Okay? Are there other orders? <clears throat> oh, you mean like reader, the steps to priesthood? Uh-huh, those are called minor orders. Mm -hmm. And there are various minor orders throughout history. 
Uh, the ones we use now are Reader and Subdeacon, mainly. Um, and those are not ordained like by laying out of hands, they're done by tonsuring or... The subdeacon, it's kind of... It has an, an interesting history because sometimes it's been made to follow the rules of the major orders. Like in some jurisdictions, once you're made subdeacon, you can't get married. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> so the Greeks, for example, they won't make a subdeacon until right before he's ordained deacon. We're, we, we in the OCA use subdeacons uh, quite a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Greeks um, kind of shocked some of my classmates when, you know, the, in the Eastern Rite, the place in front of the altar is reserved for priests and bishops. Uh, and then and one time, I, because the bishop was there, I was holding one of his candlesticks, and I walked through there, and, they're coming, and I came out the royal doors, which is what I was supposed to do. But they were like, because <gasps> I hadn't seen people, you know, like, a, they, you know, subdeacons, they're not used to those. So... Um, one of the, far, the orders that has kind of fallen out of use, for example, is exorcist. Exorcist was a minor order. Okay. Um, so most of the minor orders, in fact, I think all the minor orders, were suppressed in the Roman Catholic Church at Vatican II. They said, no, we're not going to do those anymore. You're lost. So, um, because, I mean, how do you do, we do a solemn mass. Solemn Mass requires three sacred ministers, a priest, a deacon, and a subdeacon. So they have to, like, designate people to do the subdeacon role, but they're not real subdeacons. Really, they're not real subdeacons. They have been blessed as subdeacons. So, um, <clears throat> normally when, when, you know, a lot of churches have, a lot of our churches have subdeacons. Um, we were done kind of strangely because we were we were chrismated. There were six of us. We were chrismated, tonsured reader, and ordained subdeacon all in about five minutes. <laughs> so normally that is not the normal progression, but because of that, now I've been a subdeacon for a long time. twenty, almost ten, like twenty-five and a half. Twenty. Well, it'll be twenty-six years this year. So, okay. Then what's the last one? Confession. Confession. What do the Roman Catholics like to call it now? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Which I like that term. Because it talks about really what we're doing. Confession's like the, the, the hard part. It's the, it's the way we get there. This is kind of the way we get there and this is where we're going. Right? Because what we talk about Lent is all about rebuilding relationships. relationships. And confession is the way we re rebuild our relationship with God and the church. Okay. Theoretically, if you were gone for two weeks without just cause from communion, you're supposed to go to confession. How often should we go to confession? Weekly. Some would say weekly. Some would say weekly. Normally in the Orthodox, in, in, the, in, in the Roman Catholic tradition, that is, that's common. Weekly confession. Um, and even in the high church Anglicans, uh, that's common. Uh, we, we tend to say at least four times a year, but even then that's hard sometimes to do. So at least once a year during Lent. Um, and then anytime you really need to. That's, that's the important part, is anytime you've got something that's weighing down your soul. And if, let me put it this way. 
anytime you've got something that's weighing down your soul, talk to Father about it. And he may say, we need to, he may say, let's stop right there and let's go to confession. Okay? Now, it may be you just need spiritual counseling and he doesn't have to do, you know, may, may say confessions, you know, this isn't something about, you need to confess. But on the other hand, it may be that he stops you and says, oh, okay, if that's what's going on, well, let me get my stole. You know. Because confession is a sacrament unto itself. Um, in the Roman Catholic Church, there is the absolute seal of confession. Right? You can go in and confess murder, and the priest is not allowed to tell anybody about that. Okay? The same is mostly is is the same is I would say most Orthodox priests would say the same is true in the Orthodox Church. Okay. Part of the part of the controversy, at least when I, especially when I was in school, was because at the time the Boston Archdiocese of the Roman Catholic Church was undergoing the child molestation problem, um, and they were having to sell off all their property and all of it to pay the settlements. Um, and certain states have passed laws stating that if someone is told about child molestation, they have a legal duty to report it to the authorities. Um, that is a problem for some clergy because it is the sacrament of confession. Um, now, what they should at least do is, um, you know, obviously the, the best thing would be to convince the person who has come and confessed that to kind of reveal that themselves. But of course, that's not always the case. And that would be difficult to do. So, there are, perhaps, it's, you know, I heard one priest say perhaps the most boring thing he ever does is hear confessions. But there, it can also be one of the most difficult things. Um, many priests I've, ever, I've talked to, you know, people worry about, oh, they're going to remember this and, and all. There seems to be a, a grace given unto those who hear confessions to forget. Like, I don't remember what we talked about last time. What, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, confession... Yeah, almost have to. Well, especially if you're hearing 150 people, you know. It's a lot of trash. Yeah, yeah, and it, that's what that's what it is. It's taking out the trash. It's taking out the trash in our lives, um, and it can be a great relief, depending on one's you know state of the state of one's soul. So okay, so that's what we've learned so far. Now, let's start to unlearn. Come on. And let's hear Steve. Okay. Hey everybody, this is Steve, and the church is more than a magic show. We all know that worship, especially the sacraments, is a huge part of our Christian lives. Yet we can often misunderstand what those sacraments are and why they're important. Specifically, I fear that we tend to see sacraments almost like magic tricks. The priest says the right words and then hocus pocus, stuff becomes magic. Secular things become sacred. Water becomes holy water, oil becomes holy oil, bread and wine become holy communion. And we treat the sacraments as if they're magical. We may ask our friends to bring us a little holy water rather than participate in the service itself. Or we may time things 
So we arrive to Sunday liturgy just in time for Holy Communion, so we can receive and then head right back home, as if simply receiving that little bit of magic is enough. But perhaps this is because we don't truly know what exactly sacraments are and why they're important. In the wider Christian world, there's a lot of disagreement about sacraments. Some Christians will say that they are merely symbolic, that at best they represent or bring to mind something about God. And others will say that sacraments are more than just symbolic, that they reveal an invisible reality we otherwise couldn't see. Yet, in the Orthodox Church, we approach sacraments very differently. So get ready to unlearn what you think you know about sacraments and see them with the eyes of a bee. To get us started, we need to first focus on two simple words, symbol and mystery. Normally, when we think of symbols, we think of something that represents something else. So a red rose can symbolize love, even if it's just a flower. Or a blue line on a map can symbolize a river, even if it's just a line. Yet, in the church, symbols have a much deeper meaning. The Greek word for symbol is symbolon. It literally means the throwing together of two or more things. So when we bless holy water on Epiphany, for instance, that is a symbol. Not because the water merely represents holiness, or because it's somehow a physical channel for invisible grace, but because that holy water actually allows us to participate in God's life. Holy water is a sacrament precisely because it's a symbol, in the theological sense. Because it's a collision between our world and God himself. A collision which reveals something, both about the Lord and his creation. And this takes us to that next important word. Mystery. We talked about mysteries a few episodes ago. Check out the video if you missed it. In the Orthodox Church, we typically speak in terms of mysteries, realities that we cannot fully comprehend, rather than sacraments, rituals that make things sacred because we live in attention. God is somehow both completely transcendent, completely bigger than us, and beyond us in every way, yet also intimately knowable, someone with whom we can commune. This tension exists all around us, because the world isn't simply God's creation. The physical and visible stuff that surrounds us, that even makes up our bodies, helps us to somehow know God who is not physical and completely invisible. We are created beings, living in and a part of God's creation. And we come to know God through his creation. As Father Alexander Schmemann wrote, the world is an epiphany of God a means of his revelation, presence, and power. And of course, this physical stuff is exactly what makes up the mysteries of the church. Water for baptism, oil for chrismation, bread and wine for Holy Communion. Yet not only do these mysteries help reveal God to us, these mysteries also reveal that the normal, everyday material of our lives is something more, something greater. Just as we can come to know God through his creation, we can begin to understand creation as it's truly meant to be only in its connection with the Lord. So we see water for what it really is in the baptismal font as the means by which we die to our old selves and are born again in Christ. We see oil for what it really is in chrismation as the means by which we receive the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see that God made this world to be his kingdom, that we're not looking forward to the creation of something new, but rather that all this will be made new, made truly itself 
in Christ. This is also why, in the church, we don't have just seven sacraments. There's actually one great mystery, Holy Communion. As we've discussed before, Holy Communion is the offering of ourselves, each other, and our whole life to Christ our God. The lifting up of the entire world to its proper place as God's eternal kingdom is the one unifying mystery from which all our sacred rites flow. That's why what we today call sacraments all used to happen in the context of this offering of Holy Communion. So new Christians would be baptized in the liturgy as they offer themselves up to the Lord to truly become themselves as Christians. And men and women would be married in the liturgy as they offer their love and their relationship up to the Lord to truly become itself in Christ's everlasting kingdom. We can still see this today with ordination as candidates offer themselves to become who they truly are, the deacons, presbyters, and bishops that God has called them to be. And this last point ties into something we talked about in our episode on the priesthood of all believers, because properly understood, the one mystery of the church isn't simply a ritual we do on Sunday mornings. Rather, all of life flows to and from the Eucharist. All our life is both preparation for Holy Communion and our call to live liturgically after we have received. So we don't have mere signs of grace or sacraments that are somehow at odds with the rest of life. As Father Schmemann wrote, the world in worship is revealed in its true nature and vocation as sacraments. And so we're called to pray always, to be worshiping beings living sacramental lives, constantly lifting up the world to God so that he can make the world new, so that his reality and our reality can collide and become his everlasting so let's be the bee and see all life as sacramental in Christ. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe and share. We'll see you all next week. Thanks to our supporters on Patreon who helped make this episode possible. To support the creation of more Orthodox Christian content, please visit patreon.com. Okay, <coughs> there was a lot there, wasn't there? It was pretty. There's there's a lot of content there. Um, <coughs> so I'm just gonna go through some of the points he made. Hocus pocus. Anybody know where that comes from? I'll give you a hint. Father said it today. Because what happened was people were 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 curious about. What actually happens at the altar? Some of the things Father actually says out loud aren't meant to be said out loud. They're supposed to be said in a low voice, which means basically only the deacon and I could hear. Okay, so some, But some of those prayers he chooses to say out loud because he wants everybody to hear them. But um, the canon, when he says, Take, eat, this is my body. Okay, That can actually be said in a low voice, depending on... It, it, it depends. But in Latin... This is my body is hoc est corpus ma'am. But people didn't quite hear it, and they thought he was doing hocus pocus up. <laughs> That's the origin of that term. It's the Latin for this is my body. It comes from the liturgy. Okay? And people not understanding the liturgy. 
and people understanding the sacrament as a magic trick, that's how Hocus Pocus gets attached to magic tricks. Okay? Are sacraments magic tricks? No. No, of course not. Of course not. Um, so, It, we, we have this view sometimes that, that, you know, especially kind of in our Western understanding, okay, I'm going to take this that's, sa that's secular, and I'm going to make it sacred, right? But we've talked earlier about in here about, you know, what is the bound, what is, what is that, what, what's the difference between secular and sacred? Now, obviously, the sacraments do things and, and change things, Right? I mean, that's what we pray in the liturgy. We pray that this body, bread and wine may be changed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? And we believe that it is actually changed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It may not look like it. But that is more a comment on our the limitations of our ability to perceive reality. Okay? And he, I think that's a lot of that is really what he's talking about is that it's it's our limitation and our ability to perceive reality that keeps us from seeing. You know, in fact, Saint Paul talks about it. He says, you know, now I see in a, a mirror darkly, but then I shall see face to face. Right? Our our vision of reality is limited by our mortality and our corporal bodies. Okay. Um, so, we talk about things being symbols. Symbol is a collision of two things, at least theologically, right? So, it's actually, when we make water holy in the sacrament, we're actually taking that water then actually collides with God, right? And something new emerges. Sanctified water, holy water, okay? It may look the same, it may taste the same, it may, you know. But is that enough? Hey, just get me some holy water, I'll be fine, right? Is that enough? No. Partaking in the sacrament is much more than that, because one of the things that he didn't mention is, um, we take that definition of that we have from the West, that a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. But for us in the Orthodox Church, what is grace? The energies of God. The energies of God. Right? St. Palamas. So yeah. So when we take when we do it, when we when we perform a sacrament, we're taking something or someone and colliding them with the energies of God. Right? When we take um, a man and a woman and we marry them, we're colliding them with the energies of God to create, to take the two and make them one flesh. Right? To create a new communion. You know, in the Eastern Rite marriage, they wear crowns. Right? Because they're king and queen of their own home. And the church, their home is considered to be a church. Right? So we take a man and a woman and we collide them with the energies of God to make something new that wasn't there before. Okay? 
when we take a child and we baptize them, we collide them with the energies of God, we make them die, right? And they're born again in the Spirit, right? That's what baptism is, being born again, right? That's what we use the water. We, that's why immersion is the norm. We drown the person. In fact, I saw a cartoon one time that shows a seminary instructor. He says, now remember, the longer you hold them under, the more likely they are to make a true spiritual decision. <coughs> right? But that's what baptism signifies, is the death of the old and the rebirth of the new. Okay? And when I say symbolizes, that's, it's in the theological sense. It, it's a collision. I mean, what makes that, what makes that possible? God. When we chrismate someone, they're given the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? I mean, look what it did at Pentecost. Speaking in tongues, tongues of flame above their heads. Right? The seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit. What? But the, the, the thing that's important here to realize is, if we look at all of the sacraments... Well, okay, I'll get to that in a second. But what, okay, so we talked about symbol as a collision. The mystery, because remember in the Orthodox Church, we tend to refer not to sacraments, we refer to mysteries. And yes, we talk about seven, but those are known as the principal mysteries. Is that, are those the only mysteries in the church? No. No. Our whole lives are mysteries. We're meant to live sacramentally. We're meant to live in the mystery. What mystery? What is the mystery? Mystery is a tension. Between what? The known and the unknown. The knowable and the unknowable. Okay? Theoretically, all of science is like that. Um, one of the things he talks about in another video is... If you have a, a totally transparent object, you know, you can't really, you can't see it, you can't, you know, know its shape and anything else. But what's one way to figure out what it looks like? You take a cloth and throw over it and see what shape that it conforms to, right? But then, the question that solving that question and answering that question brings up new questions. So we always we live in this tension. I mean, every day of our lives is this tension of the known and the unknown. The knowable and the unknowable. God is both knowable, because he came to us incarnate as his son Jesus Christ, right? but he's also unknowable. We can never truly understand the, you know, how God works. The same is true of each and every one of us. Okay? Can't how long you and I known each other? Forever. Okay? But we can never truly know each other. Okay? I know all about Kent. I know, you know a lot of things that's hap that have happened in his life. I know what kind of person he is. Right? But I can't really know Kent. Why? Because I can't get in his head. Right? We can't know the essence of a person, even if you're married. Right? You know, that he talks about that marriage, 
marriage is great. And, 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 you know, you see people after 60 years completing each other's sentences. Um, you know, my mom and dad were married for 63 years. And mom didn't know how to live without dad after he was gone. She lasted two and a half more years. But after 63 years together, there was no way she knew how to live apart. Okay? But did she ever truly know my dad? No. Because we can't ever truly know somebody else. Know what's going on in their head. Know the essence of the person. We can know the energies of God. This is what St. John Palamas says. Uh, Gregory Palamas, sorry. Gregory Palamas says we can know the energies of God. We can know his output. We can know how he works in the world. <clears throat> but we can't know his essence. Right? Just like I can't know the essence of who Pat is. And she can't know me. Okay? So we live in this tension of the noble and unknowable. All life is, is like that. <coughs> Excuse me. The sacraments are like that. The mysteries are like that. That's why we call them mysteries. Because, look, we know that if we take this baby and we put, take a font of water and we bless it in the proper manner and a priest or any baptized Christian takes this child and puts him in the water, that child is baptized. We know that. How does that work? <laughs> We don't know. But God has promised that to us. Why? Because he said, go forth and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Okay? When we take bread and wine, a priest takes bread and wine and says the proper words. I mean, this is not magic. It's not an engineering procedure where we know exactly why this occurs and how this occurs and everything else. There is mystery to it. But God has promised that take the bread, do this in remembrance of me. Take the chalice, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. This is my blood. You know? How is it that Protestants read every part of the Bible literally except the Last Supper? <laughs> he says, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this. In remembrance, anamnesis of me. Oh well, no, that's just a symbol. Uh, we kind just, yeah, we uh, we we'll just get you some crackers and uh, some grape juice and pass it around in little individual cups, because that's communion, individual cups. So anyway, but what, what the? I've got a couple minutes left, and the the one thing I want to talk about though is. makes the point that all of the sacraments, all of the mysteries flow from one, the Eucharist. Okay? All of the mysteries flow from the Eucharist because all our life is supposed to flow from the Eucharist, to and from the Eucharist. Okay? When we come on Sunday morning, that's the center of our week, center of our lives is, you know, and we count the time until we can come back. Okay? So, for example, baptism and chrismation, how are they related to the Eucharist? I can't take Eucharist. You can't take Eucharist without being baptized and chrismated. 
because that, that's, you, that's bringing you into the body of Christ and sealing you with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with that, then, you can commune. Okay? How is ordina uh, ordination? How do we define the various orders by what they can do with regard to the Eucharist? Okay? A bishop can administer the Eucharist, and he can also ordain clergy to assist him at the Eucharist. Right? A priest can do the Eucharist, but he can't ordain. Right? A deacon can administer communion, but he can't perform the sacrament. Right? And subdeacons just try to do what they're told. <laughs> Not very well a lot of the time, as I'm sure Father would say. But, um, but we just try, you know, uh, there's, there's you know, a lot of talk in the ritual notes about, well, can, you know, the subdeacon, can they touch this, but not this, and, you know, because a lot of things on the altar aren't supposed to be even touched except by the priest or above, priest or bishop, right? For example, a priest can bless a cross, but not a chalice. Blessing a chalice is reserved for the bishop. Because basically he's ordaining that chalice to be used for communion. You know, that's... So, um, everything flows to and from this. Okay? Including unction. Why, would, why do we need unction? Because so we can get somebody back to the Eucharist. And in fact, a lot of times when Father goes to anoint somebody in the hospital, what does he do? He brings the Eucharist. And what is that? Is that just, oh, because this is good for you? No, there's a reason we call it communion. Which comes from the words common and union. So if you're in the hospital and Father brings you Eucharist, what is he, what is he ensuring? What, is he, you know, what, what, is that, what does that mean? That no matter how separated you may be, you may be in the hospital six weeks, you know, or something like that. You may have been separated from being here with the rest of us for a long time. But you're still in communion. You're still part of us. You're still in common union with us. Okay? How is confession related to you, Christ? It prepares, it prepares you for it, and in some cases, there are things that we do where we... Now, here's something I want to make clear. The church does not excommunicate anyone. The church does not excommunicate anyone. But what will the church do? In fact, my, my dad got a letter of excommunication from Bishop Pope when we left the Episcopal Church. He, he wished he could find it because he wanted to frame it. <laughs> But he got a letter of excommunication for Bishop Pope, and I, you know, and but they have a specific form to them, and it's not the church casts you out. What does it say? You cast yourself. It is that you, by your actions, have removed yourself in oh. such a from from yeah, and separated you have separated yourself from the body of Christ until and 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 may not receive communion until such time as. You reconcile yourself, which is usually through confession and various, you know, it may take more than that, but that's part of the process always is confession. 
Okay. So for example, earlier I told you if you've been gone two weeks without cause, that may be, you know, some places they would consider that, well, you've been missing two weeks, so you need to come back to confession and be reconciled to the church before you can take communion again. Okay. Now a lot of that is dependent on the local priest and how or his bishop and how strict they are. You know, for example, Rocor tends to be more strict than we are about certain things. But that's what how confession is related to the Eucharist, is because it reconciles us to the church so that we can continue to receive and be in communion. Because that's what Eucharist is. Eucharist is the means by which we are in communion with each other. And we it is the bond which forms the body of Christ. Okay. Any questions? Comments? Really? Everybody's just like stunned or some heavy stuff, man. It is heavy stuff. It was and I was I was worried about that when I that's why I didn't show the video first. That's why I didn't show the video first, because I needed to prep it with Here's what we always think, and then let's have Steve tell us differently, and then we'll talk about that. There was another video I almost showed that deals with about the same thing, and it's but it wasn't quite. So this one, this one was better. Better. Yeah, but that's heavy stuff. I mean, sacramental theology in the Orthodox Church is very different from that of the Roman Catholic Church or any of the Protestant, or, or as a result, the Protestant churches. Because they all flow from the Roman Catholic Church. Keep in mind, for Orthodox, Roman Catholics and Protestants are the same thing. That shocks a lot of people when we tell them that. Hey, Roman Catholics, Protestants, you're all the same. <laughs> but it is. It's this way of thinking. And in fact, that's why I mean, it, it really is, especially when you get into the legalism and trying to... Because what was Protestantism? Protestantism, but a lot of it was, we don't like the explanation for that, so we're just going to reject it. Right? We don't like your explanation of how that sacrament works, so we're just going to reject it and say it's not a sacrament, it's just a symbol. Threw the baby out with the bathwater. So, alright. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.